Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to John Betty with Stealth Tackle. And we're not just going to talk leaders. We're going to talk Indiana Classic, Indiana Fishing. We're going to offer up some leader lure tips, that type of stuff. Stuff to help you put a few more fish in the net. And as you hear this, I am on vacation. So we're a little ahead on the, well, we're not that ahead on recording. I'm leaving for vacation in a few hours, but uh, I got to quick get this uh, episode out. And so we're, we're gone. And if you have placed an order with us and you're wondering, you know, why it hasn't shipped yet, well, that's why, because I'm not at the shop. I'm hanging out somewhere, hopefully, as long as nothing bad happened between now and then. But anyways, so Brad, how are things going with you? I know we're, uh, you know, it's the end of March, early April, and we're, you know, we're still a little bit away from the, the season, but, you know, things are, are cranking up quickly. Yeah, I know I've mentioned it a few times in the last couple of weeks that I thought maybe I would be heading south. <laughs> um, I guess I, I'm being delayed a little bit by some big orders for box stores, but it's getting down there. It's get, I'm kind of coming to the head, and I'm going to be heading south here in probably in the next couple of weeks from when this airs. So that feels good. Uh, it doesn't feel so good around here right now with weather. It looks like we're going to potentially get another five inches of snow which is quite amazing. Man, winter does not want to let up, Jeff. Well, for us, winter just began at the beginning of, Jan- or of uh, beginning of January, beginning of March. Like, January was fine, actually. Like, I actually think our temperatures were maybe warmer and our weather was nicer in February than it has been in March. That's just how stupid this has been. But, you know, I feel bad for the poor people up in, like, I hear Rhinelander is getting, like, 18 inches of snow potentially this weekend. And, I mean, by the time this airs, you'll know whether they did or didn't get it. But that's ridiculous. And it's, it's you know, it's April by the time you hear this. It's almost April will be tomorrow. So it's not like it's, you know, February. This is, this is uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, climate change and things like that. Well, we don't particularly, but you hear about it. And... Like it, it just seems like everything has just shifted to me. Like when I was a kid, you used to see like 60 degree days in March. And now I almost never see that. It gets to be like 35 and it's literally just 35 every single day until April. And then at the end of April, you know, maybe warms up enough to get the ice off the lakes. And then in May sometime it gets to be like 90. That's how that goes. Yeah, it's, it's quite bizarre. That's for sure. I mean, two mornings ago, it was nine below here. So I don't know, Jeff. It's quite strange, that's for sure. But the climate's always changing. So, I mean, if you want to talk climate change, you're right. It changes hourly, usually. But uh, it's amazing. I know uh, just a little north of me here, probably 30 miles, 50 miles, they're talking eight inches. So I think as you progress north, it's uh, it's going to be even more brutal with snow. But uh, I don't know. At some point here, Jeff, we might have to try to bring on a guest that can talk about late springs because man the way things are looking it's going to be a late spring here in the northland anyway i won't disagree but if you remember last year we did a whole thing in april uh you know late we did like five podcasts in a row literally every day we did it monday through friday five episodes and we talked about spring fishing and we all referenced late spring and then literally like three weeks after that it, it was not a late spring anymore everything warmed up fast you know, so you guys were probably maybe even early. It's just, it was a weird thing. So, I mean, we could do it. Maybe it would help with the weather wise, but obviously whatever we put out for that week, if we did it, we're, it's just going to be, you know, insignificant by the time the season rolls around because mother nature is going to throw another curveball. There's a lot of truth to that. And, and you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, it's very strange. It's almost like we don't have a spring anymore. Even the falls have been a little bit goofy that way, where, 
once it locks in, man, it, it's winter, you know, and it kind of goes from early fall to just boom, it's winter. Now we're getting snow, right? So I don't know. I, I do think this, I mean, we had a really insulated cap on top of the lakes with snow. We didn't have really awesome ice fishing ice, you know, this whole season. So by rights, with the weight of the snow on top of the lakes and everything else, we get a little warm-up snap, and I have a feeling it's probably going to go relatively, probably the same time frame, right? Like up in my neck of the woods, we used to always place bets on a calendar what day the ice was going to go out, and quite generally, it would be between the 17th of April and the 27th of April. So if you could be in that mix, and generally speaking, it was always around the 25th, 26th, 27th of April. So it's not unfeasible for that to happen again this year as well. Definitely. I could see it for sure. We'll see what happens. Obviously, you know, week by week, it's, it's a, it's always a guessing game. And, you know, for people that are getting ready to gear up for their seasons, you got to make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. You know, we continue to add more products. In fact, um, when I leave for vacation, I've, you know, taken my laptop with me and some pictures and stuff. So hopefully be getting a little bit of work done and when I'm on vacation, you know, depending upon what the kids uh, have planned or how early they go to bed or, or whatever. So there's more and more stuff, always more stuff's on order. Um, we do have some new colors coming from a variety of people and we'll continue to update you with the latest and greatest to help you catch more fish this season. And Brad, if they're not shopping with us, they should also be shopping with you because you guys have lots to offer there as well. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely, Jeff. I mean, uh, if you haven't been to muskymayhemtackle.com, you should go check it out if you have any interest in any uh, bladed baits, uh, the originators of the Flashaboo, big bladed baits. And we pretty much have a whole array to fill any needs when it comes to bladed baits. So check us out we'd love to have you as a customer love to see some pictures if you guys have pictures jet them our way or share them on social media and tag us and we'll uh we'll re-tag you we uh we appreciate everybody that uh that participates whether they buy from us or through a retailer definitely i uh, want to thank everybody for supporting musky mayhem tackle and brad i think we're gonna jump into our conversation with john betty from stealth tackle because i gotta get this podcast rolling so i can jet out of town Good for you, Jeff. I hope you guys have a great family trip. Thank you, Brad. Our guest today is John Betty with Stealth Tackle, and we've talked to John many, many times. John, you're, I don't know, probably not maybe our most popular guest on the podcast as far as like appearances, but you're you're definitely one of our most popular from uh, Brad and I standpoint. We'd love to have you on the podcast. So, John, thanks for bailing us out this week. I know that when people hear this, I will be on vacation, hopefully on a beach somewhere. And uh, we needed somebody in, in short notice, and yeah, we knew that you'd come through and in the clutch and, and take care of business. So how are you doing Absolutely. today? Yeah, I'm doing great. And just make sure you, you get the check in the mail before you go on vacation for this, So and then everything's good. Brad's in charge of checks, so you're going to want to visit with him. <laughs> okay, uh, I might have to drive up there then. Correct. Yes, but, exactly. But, but I don't think they got open water yet, so I don't know if I want to drive up there. No offense, but I want to go up there when, when I can fish. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, you know, we kind of want to talk about that in this episode. You know, the uh, I, th- I think when, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not as overlooked anymore, but, you know, when you talked about early season destination muskies, like it seemed like Indiana maybe was on the map for a little while, and then they kind of went off the map for a little while, and mm-hmm. it definitely should be on somebody's radar. 
you know, it sounds to me like, you know, fishing out there has been pretty solid. Yeah, it has. It's it's rebounded nicely. It's a, it's an awesome fishery. And uh, for years, I don't even know if I personally as a fisherman, if we want to, if I want to even really talk about it, but no, they've done a, they've done a great job with that fishery. The pressure that those lakes get, well, especially back in the day when things kind of cooled down a little bit and then people migrated to other places and now it's kind of on the rebound nicely. The guys are doing pretty good out there already from what I've seen. Unfortunately, due to our schedule that is kind of bled over into springtime from wintertime, I haven't had a chance to get out there yet. I'm planning on my first, my first trip out there will be probably next week. So um, I'm looking forward to that. But from everything I've been seeing on the internet and talking to people, it's, it's been a really decent spring out there this year. And uh, they just do a tremendous job with that fishery. You know, it's, it's stocked very well. The Indiana Muskie uh, chapter does really good things that work with the DNR to make that fishery, you know, among the top fisheries in the country for muskie. Now let's talk about that a little bit, you know, so we want to kind of touch on like the spring classic, which helps as far as I'm aware, you'll be able to shed more light on it. It helps in the Indiana muskie fishery be what the Indiana muskie fishery is. So I know you're very involved in that and I think you're the title sponsor and I know you, you know, you're hands on with it. Why don't you talk a little bit about the spring classic, when it is in, in what uh, it does to help with muskie fishing in Indiana. Sure. It's uh, the Indiana muskie classic. It's been going on for 25 years. This is the 25th uh, year for it. It's going to be held in uh, the Webster Lake area in May 19th through 21st. It's a three-day tournament slash fundraiser that the Indiana Chapter Muskies Inc. puts on. Basically, all the funds that they raise are are to uh, raise money to help the DNR with the stocking so that they can be aggressive with the muskie program. And, you know, a lot of guys go out or, or see it and they complain because it's not a money tournament where they're not bringing home cash. So they don't want to, um, they don't want to fish it. Whereas the reason behind that is because it's a fundraiser. There is really good prize packages that all of us here on the podcast are pretty much involved with, as you guys know, you know, we donate product to them guys so they could have really good prize packages to put together along with, uh, you know, St. Croix is a big sponsor. I think Iowa's coming on this year. You know, Jeremy Civis is the uh, tournament director who was formerly the owner of Muskie Bumper. And I'm pretty sure since Chase took that over that uh, Jeremy's making sure that Chase is going to be involved with Muskie Bumper with that as well. Uh, Muskie Innovations, uh, Ludgeon. A lot of sponsors that uh, that that pull together and help these guys out to make it a really cool event. It's it's a three day fishing tournament where you spend a day on uh, one of the three systems: one day on Webster, one day on Tippy, and one day on Barbie, and then it's all tallied up and totaled on Sunday afternoon. So and then at night on Saturday they have a big fundraiser with uh, lots of prizes and raffles and everything. It's a really good event that they forward that money on to the DNR to help fund any programs that uh, that they might be working on. Last year, it helped fund uh, stocking uh, Kokomo Reservoir for the first time. So we've added, we're adding a new musky lake uh, to Indiana. So that's always a good thing. And they stocked the bigger 
like 12 to 14 inch fish in there. So hopefully in a few years that becomes a fishable musky fishery as well. They've done, uh, I think they're doing pit tags now. Just anything that, that the chapter can do to help make the, the musky program in Indiana among the best. That's pretty much what it's all about. You know, let's talk about getting involved in the uh, Muskie Classic. If you want to go and get in and, and get registered, how, or how do you go about doing that? You can, uh, they have a form that you can fill out. If anybody's interested in uh, getting involved in it, on my Facebook page, I have a form posted that I posted just this week. I should tag it at the top so people can see it. You can print it out and mail it in. I believe it's 250 bucks for the team. That includes uh, also dinner on Saturday night. There's hotels in the area where they do have a uh, tournament hotel also set up. That's not part of the package, but uh, they do have a discounted rate at one of the hotels in Syracuse, Indiana. Uh, Indiana Muskie Classic also has a group page. And uh, if you're listening and you're not on Facebook, you can get a hold of myself through... uh, SelfTackle.net website, and I'll make sure that uh, I get you in touch with the right people to get that out. They used to have a website, but I think the website's kind of gone away just due to expense. But the form is in their Indiana Muskie Classic group, as well as on my Facebook page um, posted. You know, John, the one thing I'd say about Indiana, it's nice that they, they're expanding their muskie you know, range, I guess, or their lakes, because how is pressure out there? I mean, I know at one point, I think Webster, you know, I mean, I hate to single it out, but I, hear, I mean, you used to hear about Webster all the time, like how unbelievable it was. And then, yeah. I mean, through a, a very, you know, through a bunch of different things, it, it turned into being, I don't know, I guess less than desirable. You probably know a lot more about it than I do, but you know, it seems like that's back. And now, I mean, is the pressure like really high on one particular lake or is, you know, adding in, in additional musky fisheries going to help spread out the pressure or is Indiana pressure not that big a deal? It is. It, it was more than I think it is now. Back when things were really rocking back in, I, you know, like from that early 2000s, you know, through probably 2010, 12, if you were at those, those boat ramps, first of all, they're not huge ramps. It's not like they hold 100 vehicles. So, you know, you're talking like 15 to 20 vehicles. So if you weren't out there, you know, at the break of dawn or before sunup to get a spot, you know, you weren't going to find anywhere to park. So, uh, that was a, the main thing, but you know, there's a couple different ramps on the, on the systems too. So they're kind of spread out, but, uh, the pressure did, I, in my opinion, got to those lakes, especially on Webster. And then you had other things thrown in. You had a few shad explosions and, and let's face it, you know, you got a lot of muskies that they stock it, it or we're stocking at the five per acre. I don't know if, what the current rate is now, but you had, uh, you know, a, a shad explosion for a couple of years. So those fish had a lot to eat. So they really didn't have a reason to go chasing a bait. You know, hence people thought, oh, the fish have all left through, you know, river systems or what have you. But in, in reality, they were still there. They just, you know, for whatever reason, the, the catch rates were going down. It could have been a combination of everything. I don't know. I don't, I don't fish out there as much as I used to, so it's hard for me to, to say. But just from talking to customers and seeing stuff on the Internet, it looks like it's rebounded nicely. And, you know, the quality of fish out there is good. Even if you're looking at guys catching 
bid to offer 30 inch fish, they're, they're healthy fish, you know, so that, that's always a good sign as well. We continue to try to add lakes and there's lakes throughout the state. So there is a lot more variety than there was, I would say, you know, there's some little lakes, there's bigger bodies of water. This Kokomo Reservoir, I believe, is a bigger body of water, so it's closer to Indianapolis, so it might take some pressure off of the off of Webster Lake once it gets cranking. So, you know, that that's always going to help spread people out a little bit. For guys over in Ohio, southern Ohio, there's a Brookville Reservoir that, that, that uh, they stock, too. So there's, there's plenty of bodies of water out there now that are, that are spread out a little bit more that, that's going to help with pressure so it's not all congregated on one specific body of water so john you mentioned shad i mean is that the primary primary forage base there and yeah. you said that the populations are really strong um i'm assuming right now it's still pre-spawn fishing yeah you know it's hard to say with you know there's what i've noticed in years past when i was out there more is there isn't really a specific okay they're spawning they're all spawning right now it seems like it would go in waves. You know, you'd have one wave that would be really early where they would be in spawning. And then later on, I mean, even into late April or early May, you would, you would still have some fish in the spawning mode. So I think it's, I don't think it's a a thing where they all kind of go all at once. I know last week I saw pictures that the DNR was out there and they got a lot of fish in the nets, which tells me that it's pretty much going on right now for maybe a, a fair number of those fish. So, what size fish are they netting currently? Do you know? Do you get the reports on that? Or is uh, it, it looked like there was like upper thirties to low forties that were that were being netted. It looked like some healthy quality fish. Yeah, it's uh, it's intriguing to think about that fishery. I know Chase and I have talked about trying to go to Indiana to do a. Uh, a Mayhem's 10,000 cast episode there at some point, but uh, mm-hmm. haven't made it there myself yet. But I know, you know, history shows that it definitely has the opportunity to produce some large fish. So definitely something yeah. that should be on the radar. Yeah, there's, you know, every year there's there's uh, stories of a, a few 50s. I, there might have even been an, an upper 40s, 50-inch class fish caught pre-spawn this year that I heard about. There's a healthy, you know, 45 to 48 inch size class fish out there that, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're awesome. I mean, you know, you're not going to be pounding 50s all the time or C50s all the time. I don't, for whatever reason, they just don't seem to grow that big. They're out there, but not plentiful in places like you would go in Canada or, or Minnesota. But um, there are there, there are a few out there, but that. There, there's you got a shot, a legit shot at a at a mid forties to forty eight inch fish anytime you're out there on the water. And I might add too with that, along with the shad forage, you know, I was surprised at the amount of crappie and bluegill that they showed pictures that were coming up in the nets too. So it's not just a shad thing out there. You know, you got your bluegills, crappie, perch. You know, it's they're just healthy fisheries. That's interesting. You know, one of the things that I guess I've always thought about is distance. You know, everybody talks about going to Kentucky. They talk Mm -hmm. about going to different places throughout the South, maybe Tennessee, Southern Illinois. And I think a lot of times Indiana gets overlooked. And distance-wise, for the people up here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, literally, I mean, it's a lot closer to home. So 
you might not need right. to travel quite as far, you know? Yeah. And, you know, going back to the, to the Indiana classic too, I mean, those lakes are, are roughly two hours out of Chicago and, you know, with the Indiana classic in May, you've got, it, it, it maxes out at a hundred teams. So if you are thinking of a trip to Indiana, it's a good thing to get in on that. You're going to have a lot of people talking fishing every night. You're going to learn a lot real fast and you're going to fish each system on uh, three different days. So you're, you're going to get a feel for it. You're going to see where other guys are fishing from all the boats out there. It's, it's going to definitely excel the learning curve, you know, by being part of that as well. And you just make a weekend of it. It's, you know, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun deal. How many boats are usually jumping in in this tournament? Uh, we've had as many as at max. Well, we've never turned anybody away. We've had, I think the most they've had is a little bit over a hundred, which is why we do the three lake systems. So now you're spreading, you know, it's basically you're assigned a rotation. So there's three different rotations going on and that helps keep the pressure off of what body of water specific that might be, might be going at that time. Um, but everybody gets a shot at that system during the three days. Last year, I think we were 60-some teams, 65 teams around that. So you still had uh, 30 boats on each system. Um, I think 60 to 80 is about where we've been the past few years. Yeah, well, if you do some simple math on that, I mean, that's that's pretty good dollars generated to the DNR. That's for sure. Absolutely. And that, that's the best part of it. That's why I'm heavily involved with it because of the guys running it and knowing what they're doing. And they're passionate about making sure that this, this fishery survives and not just survives, but stays among one of the best in the country. Like you said, Brad, people are traveling long distances to go to a lot of these other destinations and they could possibly be driving right past one of the better ones, you know? So it's, uh, you know, there's accommodations out there, there's tackle shops out there. So there's, you got everything that you pretty much need out, out in that area. So there's a couple guides that are working out in that area too. If you wanted to hire a guide for a day, there, there is available guides out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's got everything that, that, uh, you would want a musky fishery to offer. Let's talk about the musky fishing in general. You know, if people are looking to go make a trip to Indiana, John, what are they, you know, what should they have in their tackle box? What are some must-haves? I think I know of one, and good luck finding them, but I know of one that does work out there. It works in a few different places early season, but the manufacturer yep. in that one has kind of dropped the ball, so uh, good totally luck. Totally dropped the ball. Yeah, it will be, and it has been since before you owned it, so if anybody's like, oh, he's just saying that because Jeff's running the podcast and uh, it's his bait, well... You know, even back when Billy had it, or even when Keith Eldrip, I believe, had it along with Ludgeon. You know, the the squircos and the baby squircos are one of my favorite Indiana baits that there's that there's been. You know, the cool thing about them is is how erratic they are. They're not a standard, typical side to side glide bait. You really gotta learn to work them. They're leader sensitive, which is good for me they're phenomenal baits, especially when things can go a little bit negative out there. They really help trigger fish because of how erratic they are. And I could tell you when I go out there with my buddies next week that the baby squircle will be the, the, the first lure I throw. So between that small twitch baits, like your slabber baits, I'm, I'm looking forward to using that new slabber that, uh, 
uh, Bill came out with. It was at the six inch version. Yep, six inch fatty. Yep, six inch fatty. I'm sure that we'll have a few of those out there. Uh, small spitter baits, uh, rabbit squirrels. You know that kind of stuff. If we got to speed it up, the rabbit squirrels are great baits when the water temps start coming up a little bit out there. So. Yeah, and then the one-eyed Willie Junior. When things get right around the time of the classic, when the when the water starts warming up and the top water bite starts happening, the Willie Juniors are good. The prop baits, the the, the small uh, Lake X. What's that called? Little bastard. Little bastard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Those uh, baits like that. So, but early season can go with you know small baits. You could go. Because the fish are all in different transitions at different times, you know, there's still guys that'll be out there throwing bulldogs and, and having success with it or full-size hellhounds. Can't go wrong with gliders in Indiana. I mean, that's, that's been a staple bait out there forever. The, the hellhounds are terrific baits. I always tell people, you know, with all the expensive glide baits and everything that are out there on the market, the, on, a, on a crowded day, a hellhound can still just do just as good as, as anything else. You know, John, getting back to the uh, baby squircle, I'm probably the worst person in promotion then if that's the case. Because, like, the idea isn't to drum up demand and then literally have zero of them available. So mm-hmm. I'm not a very, I'm I'm a very terrible promoter in that instance. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, rumor has it they work, you know, they work in southern Wisconsin waters. But, you know, it's yeah. been an issue as far as getting blanks are concerned. And hopefully someday we rectify it, but it will not be for this spring. I will guarantee that. Well, then we get to keep making fun of you. Yeah, sure. I, I know a, I know of a guy that's willing to sell you a bait company, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sell it to Brad, but I think he's he's more he would be more in the selling range versus the buying range, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> Come on now. Oh, Brad is still awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean i didn't want to interrupt I'm, I'm not rude like you right exactly <laughs> you know he kept talking about erratic and i got a little funny deal chase had a, a client of his last year who kept saying erotic instead of erratic and uh <laughs> Chase even tried to correct him and it's pretty comical he's like uh yeah he goes uh do you have any of those erotic baits and uh <laughs> chase said you mean erratic no, no, the erotic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I think the amazing part to that fishery down there is, uh, you know, I hear from different guys, you know, the Baddock brothers that are from Indiana. They, they throw a plethora of different styles of baits down there throughout the whole mm-hmm. spring. And it's always blown my mind. I mean, you kind of touched on that as well, John, that, you know, some guys are throwing bulldogs, some guys are doing twitch baits, some guys... They're throwing blades. I mean, I think, you know, it all, there's a lot of different pieces to that puzzle for sure. But I think you can get down there and you can search and, and just work hard and you're probably going to catch fish. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing. If you could spend some time out there and, and nail down where you, you know, where you find some fish and work them and, you know, they'll like where, anywhere else, they're going to tell you what they want. You know, in Indiana, one thing they, you know, you'll see a ton of fish, you know, when, when they're on, you're get a lot of fouls. So it won't take you long to figure out what, what baits they're chasing, what baits they're eating, you know, um, for years down there, the, uh, one of the top baits, and this goes back to the, uh, around 2010 time. Well, whenever the, the kick and minnow came out, 
that bait was just destroying fish down there, but they would destroy the bait. So you just couldn't get enough. You know, if you were going out fishing in Indiana for a weekend, you better have 10 or 15 of those things because they were only good for, you know, a fish or two and they would just fall apart. You know, um, they weren't, I don't think they were designed to be a musky baits, but, but the, but the musky really loved them. They just destroyed those things. Um, so that's another bait that still, you know, stood the test of time and it'll still catch fish, things like that, you know? So, uh, cowgirls, once the, you get that warm up, you know, your regular size cowgirls, Brad, you know, from, uh, the tackle shop down there that, that goes through a lot of those, that there's a good cowgirl bite going not only later in the spring, we kind of lay off in the summer when the water temps spike, obviously, cause there is a long period out there where those temps will be over, over 80 degrees. Uh, but when we come back in the uh, fall, late August, when things start cooling down, pretty much you better have, you know, a cowgirl out there. And that's a really good bite for a while before the tubs start dropping off. I'm curious, John, what, uh, what kind of water clarity there is. And then because of that water clarity, do you ever hear about a good uh, rattle bait type bite down there as well? The guys I'm going with next week, we talked about that. I've caught fish on rattle baits. I haven't really committed to it, but three of us are going. So we were just talking that we should have one guy commit to a rattle bait early in the year and really see what happens. The The clarity of those lakes could vary. I mean, you do have like Tippecanoe is a very clear body of water. That's super clear water. You could see down 15 feet deep, you know. And then you've got a system like the Barbie chain, which is a variety of lakes that goes from clear to stained to dark, you know, so you've got a variety. Webster can kind of vary. Uh, Last year, it seemed like it cleared up quite a bit. At times, a lot of that will depend on rain runoff, especially on, there's a few smaller lakes as well that that guys hit, and those, the clarity is going to depend on how much rain they got, how much runoff they get from some of those farm ponds and that that's going to dictate that. But also another thing that seems like it dictates the, the, the clarity of the water is unfortunately these homeowner associations get together and do massive weed kills out there. And I think that that was also going back to what we talked about before about how the bike kind of went away for a few years they were real aggressive with killing weeds and i think that didn't help the cause either i don't think it was killing off muskies but they were it was changing the way they were feeding and and what they were doing and everything so i think that was also a contributor to how things were going i think that now they do it i think the dnrs kind of regulated a little bit as to how much they can or can't do but for a while there, you go out on Webster, you couldn't find a weed in the lake. And it was because of the weed kills they were doing. And then the water would get all murky and, you know, make it that much harder. So you have that going against it as well. What is the primary structure that you're going to look for out there? I know that they do get pretty weed choked at some point in the year. But uh, what's the primary target, like, say, this time of the year, early? Um Really, just fish at edges and breaks. Anywhere you can find an edge or a break, fish it. If you find the fish are coming off the top, you know, shallower, we'll push up and fish the shallower area. Um, and then 
you know, these fish are all, and most all of these lakes will, are open water predators. You know, they're chasing ponds. You know, one of the best, the best structure we have is a school of shad. So, cause there's, there really isn't a lot of, uh, make up the structure of these waters. You know, there's not no rocks. There's the weed edges go from the, the milfoil, matted up milfoil to a break and it just drops down straight, you know? So you're fishing those edges and then out in open water a lot. It's definitely uh, something you hear about a lot when it comes to the South. I know our last episode that came out um, a couple weekends ago, you know, that's what we were doing. We we're fishing a reservoir in Ohio and definitely uh, all centered around that uh, shad base. That's for sure. It's uh, right. time and time again, every time I go to the South, I mean, that's definitely something that we spend time looking for is where are the biggest majority of the shad and then we utilize them as the structure right yeah exactly you're using those as the as the structure you're fishing you treat it like you would a, a rock reef in canada you know i think the the interesting part to that or the piece to that is a lot of times it's the the biggest masses of that shad base as well and when you start looking at that it's almost a little bit intimidating in the sense that you can't see anything because that, that shad base is so thick on your right. side imaging or side view or whatever you want to say. You're like, how can there even be a muskie in that? But those muskies, like, they come in, they feed, they leave. The next batch right. of muskies comes in, feeds, and leaves, you know. So you just got to stay with that whole big mass, continue to fight with them, and, and it will pay yeah. off. Right. And you got to commit to it. You got to fish it. You got to keep fishing it because you got to remember that that structure that you're fishing is also the other food that they're eating. So you're competing with that structure, so to speak. You know, you've got a thousand shad in your lure. So, but it's not that it just holds water to fish. Like you said, they transition in and they come out and they come in and they, you know, so you really got to keep pounding it to have success with it. Jeff, I know you fished down south a little bit here and there. Um, have you fished Indiana? No, I haven't actually. It's been on my list of places to go for, I don't know, quite a while, but much like every place I have on my on my list of places to go early season, it never works out. You know, Brad, it's always one of those things, like I'd love to get out there right now, but, you know, we just wrapped up show season. I spent the last two weeks, you know, reloading everything out, you know, everything that was in the show trailer we had to re- reload back online, and now I'm just going through and trying to catch up on, you know, stuff that we picked up throughout the course of show season, whether it be new products, new colors, new that, you know, to try to get all that stuff reloaded, you know, just to get back on. So, you know, March is very, you know, it's a very busy time of year for me, yeah. and so it's it's difficult to get away. The number one reason I just haven't been out there yet, you know, it's like you said, we transitioned from being on the road for so many weeks you got to get back to the shop march is a busy time a lot of guys are ordering their stuff now for their spring trips so we want to keep everybody happy as much as we can and brad i don't know we kind of briefly touched on it i want to do that shop project too so if i do that shop project it's going to be a major undertaking to you know add additional space here in the shop which is good i mean we need more room for more stuff but it high rise in the yeah, exactly tro high rise <laughs> in the meantime it's going to be a little bit of work to uh to do that so i basically want to rem- i want to move everything in the shop 
John, because I need to get an additional role for more stuff. Well, listen, I I love spending other people's money, so I think I already got this envisioned right here, right now. It's coming to me, and it's your money, so I don't care. Um, you know the Carvanas, where mm-hmm. you got like the car vending machines. I think a TRO, you know, high rise with like different floors for all your different stuff, and people come up and they, you know, order it. it comes down on a conveyor to them. Mm. I mean, I like where you're going with that, but I'm going to probably go with no. <laughs> I guess this all goes back to when we first built the shop and my wife walks in and she says, this is too small. And I'm like, no way, this is plenty big. We got all this room over here and all this room over here. And I hate to admit that she was right, but she's right. It's too small. Honestly, she needs to get rid of you because I like, you know, Belle is better at ordering. She's got better ideas. You know, you're the one that's snuffing this stuff out. That's right. You know? I'm holding the whole thing back. I can tell already. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. That that might all cut into my April muskie fishing. We'll see. This vacation that we're taking isn't going to help anything out either, but it'll be good to get away. We haven't done that in uh, 15 months, so it'll be nice yep. to get to. Uh, you got to do that. Yep. It's been a while, and the kids ge- the kids aren't getting any younger. Yeah. So what's the new destinations for uh 10,000 casts this year. Are you allowed to talk about those yet, Brad? Or do you guys got anything cool coming up? Well, we have one in the can already, uh, which is awesome. It's a good feeling to, to be one down already. And that will, the first show next year will be a jigging bite. I don't think anybody's really done a, a excellent job of providing a jigging show so far that I've seen in the musky world. So we, we did that. And um, we did that in Ohio. I don't know. We're looking at PA. We're looking at Tennessee. We've got a bunch of different ideas to, to go out and do a little bit more traveling this year. And so we, uh, I just need to get through a couple more weekends and then I'm free. Basically, I hope anyway, um, <laughs> when I say I'm free, that means, uh, I'm still working obviously, but, uh, like you guys said, this is a busy time of the year. We still have a bunch of major box store orders that, that we're pumping it through the building and, and, uh, some of that will start letting up here shortly. So definitely yep. want to get out. You know, we've talked about Indiana. We talked about trying to hit mm-hmm. that. Um, we've even talked about Illinois some, so yep. we do definitely want to bounce around. We're going to do a bunch of different stuff throughout the South and East. And then of course we definitely want to spend some time in Wisconsin this year. Uh, we've talked about potentially even going out to, uh, to the St. Lawrence at some point. I don't know if that'll happen this year. We've even talked Nebraska. So, I mean, we, we've got a bunch of different talk. We just need to lay out some more plans and, and we definitely already have some of those plans in place. We are definitely uh, set up to go with Jason Quintano on St. Clair, uh, both potentially casting and trolling. So we've got a few things out laid out in the calendar. We just need to button up a few more. Yep. Sounds like your uh, biggest problem is the same one we're talking about. Time is our enemy. It's always about time, right, John? I mean, I, yeah. it's uh, it's always the biggest challenge. And unfortunately, I mean, when you start planning stuff, I mean, we all know that basically January through into the beginning of April, that's the busiest time of the year. I know it sounds stupid. I mean, they're six months out from most musky fishing, but... That's when right. the majority of the, the bigger orders come through, and then it's keep fill orders right. throughout the rest of the season. So right. for yeah. people that, uh, you know, it's it's like I tell people because they're like, how can you be busy in the winter? 
Well, <laughs> it's no different than when you walk into a store today and sure. it's uh, October and they've already started to put up Christmas present or Christmas stuff, you know? Right. It, yeah. It's amazing. It's always months and months ahead. Right. And, you know, you know, we go to all these shows to put our products and ourselves in front of people. And I know with me personally, I don't want to run out of anything and have somebody show up at a show and not be able to, to, to buy the, the product that the product I have that they can't get, you know? So aside from everybody bulking up with the stores, like you said, too, we want to make sure we're on top of that, you know? So we get a couple shows that go back to back and you really got to hustle to make sure that you got everything together to, to, to have ready for those as well. So there's quite a bit to it. Yeah, I think it's funny. I mean, Jeff Jeff was just telling us that he hasn't been on vacation in 15 months. And I was thinking to myself, I think it's been about 18 years for me. <laughs> well, well prior, prior to 15 months ago, it had been about 18 years. And then my wife's like, <laughs> she's like, if we can't go on vacation ever with because of this business, like, what are we doing here? And I'm like, well, we, we have to do it strategically. You know, April wasn't exactly my prime, you know, my prime time. Because people right. are starting to gear up and go fishing now, and you know, but the majority of the anglers yet are still, you know, just digging through gear, and they don't have to have their stuff immediately. But the kids have spring break, and so she didn't want to pull the kids out of school, you know, whatever during like January to do it. So, right, like, oh, whatever. Yeah. And her her um, brother has had a, a baby in January, and so they want they want to go see the baby. Which I mean, for me personally, I I'm not really that much about babies but you know give them to me when they're two years old it's a little bit more fun but so hopefully i can you know whatever it's it'll be fun just to get away from the shop sure. for a while i mean because we've pretty much lived out here for the you know the first yeah. three months of the year yep yeah you got to disconnect once in a while yep and unfortunately yeah. i mean it will be an inconvenience for some anglers and we apologize for that but you know it, it is what it is life will move on and you know we'll be back shipping before you know it it's not i mean we're going to get home on you know a week from today and so it'll be a couple of days after you hear this podcast and, you know, we'll start shipping right away that day. So it's, cool. there won't be any rest that way. Yeah, for sure. You know, John, before you, uh, before we let you get out of here, the one thing we can't talk, we can't have you on without talking leaders. So you and I did a video <laughs> back in on YouTube. I don't know. It's going on probably four years, maybe five years ago. Who knows how long it's been, but you know, people still do refer to that video and I've had a couple people, they ask me questions about, you mm -hmm. know, leaders for glide baits, especially this time of year, right? You know, the, uh, mm -hmm. you talked about the baby squircle, but like the hellhound we talked about, that one's pop up very popular in the spring. And the six inch phantom is probably maybe the most popular of all glide baits mm -hmm. in the spring. And I had a, um, a customer ask me, you know, best leader for a, for that particular glide bait. You know, if you're, I guess if you had to pick one out of your lineup, this is the must-have leader for a small glide bait, whether it be, I said, a six-inch phantom, a baby squircle, or a hellhound, which one's it going to be? Well, I, it's almost two there with the hellhound. If you throw the hellhound, if you throw the, the six-inch phantom and the baby squircle, it, you, a spring leader works great with those. Uh, the, that would be the ST174S. It's a solid rig connection. So you have to have a split ring on the lure, direct connect, you're eliminating the snap, gives those lures much better action. The Hellhound is a, is a pretty much will work with just about anything. A 12 inch solid wire with no swivel on it is probably my favorite for that. 
the hellhounds are also, they're not as leader sensitive. You can throw them with a fluorocarbon leader. That's the nice thing about the hellhounds. They're, they're a really good bait for, uh, it's not just a good starter bait. I mean, they're great baits to produce. I still throw them, but if a guy's starting out musky fishing and needs a glide bait, that's the perfect starter bait for somebody to work with the glider. The other one I, I tend to lean towards a lot is like the STE 174 nine inch. I use that for lots of things. I mean, it's a very versatile mm-hmm. leader too. Mm, yep. Like you said, though, leader sensitive baits like the baby squirko, it's got a snap on there. So it's, you know, a little, or a little touchier that way, but it'll do right. a lot of yeah, what you want to do. Yeah. You could still use a snap on there. You just downsize the snap, use like a three or a number four instead of a bulky number five and that'll that'll help those lures work a little better too. Mm -hmm. You know, John, one thing I've seen more popular lately is a seven strand leaders or 49 strand leaders, you know, that, that wire leader, you know, maybe you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Well, that's more of a late getting later into the year. The, so the 175 is 49 strand wire. Uh, It's kind of the big brother of seven strand wire. So, you know, seven strand wires is, is seven strands of wire wound together. That gives you seven strand. Uh, 49 strand is a little bit newer. It's still been around for a few years, but musky guys seem to be warming up to it more and more. It's 49 strands of wire that are wound together. So picture seven, seven strand leaders wound together. Um, so you're thinking, well, geez, that's big and bulky. Um, not so much because they use smaller strands of wire to do it the way it's developed it's a much more flexible leader so whereas a seven strand leader could kink a little bit easier this is much more flexible i would say it's a wire leader that acts almost like a fluorocarbon leader with the flexibility so if guys are shy about using fluorocarbon because they're worried about getting bit off it's a good alternative to give you a flexible leader and you got the heavier abrasion resistance of wire. All right, John. Well, I appreciate you taking time and bailing me out on this episode of, of this podcast. And if people are looking to learn more about your products and services, you know, how can they go about that? And I think you also probably have a YouTube channel that you update occasionally too. Why don't you talk a little bit about both of all of those things? Sure. Our website is www.stealthtackle.net. My email's on there. You can get a hold of me through there. You can get a hold of me through my Facebook page, but I'm a little slower to answer out of there. All the contact info is on the website, though. My phone number's on there. Texting is okay, too. Our YouTube channel, yeah, uh, like you, it has kind of fallen to the wayside. I'd like to get more videos up, but it falls into that category of the demon of time that we're always battling against. But, uh, yeah, our YouTube channel stealth tackle we've got a few leader tips on there for you and one thing i'll say about that leader video that we did four or five years ago jeff is i got people this winter that came into my booth and were telling me that they saw the leader video i just did with team rhino and i'm like we didn't we, we didn't do a video on leaders i'm thinking when the heck what is he talking about well these are people that are seeing it for the first time that we did four or five years ago and watching it. And so that's good that, that people are referencing that still. I mean, it's, that's a good thing. So yeah, absolutely. for sure. It's yep. that, and it's, then, 
you know, that's one of yep. those things that we should probably, you know, update. You know, there's, I don't know that it was one of our first videos we ever did. So I don't right. know that it got quite in the detail that we needed right. potentially, right. but maybe we right. should also break it out. Cause I know you've added a few products since then, you know, yeah. we could talk about different yeah. types of trolling leaders and to have different things. So, you know, when, right. um, maybe at some point this, you know, spring, summer, you, I, I, you know, maybe this spring when I come up for the, for the IndyCar races up there, I can swing by the shop and I can maybe help you with some blueprints for the, the TRO tower. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that, <laughs> I think the TRO tower will be done by then, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, the only other thing I want to say is, uh, if you're interested in, uh, the Indiana Muskie classic or get more information on that, you can, uh, find that application on my Facebook page. I will also get that up on my website. And also on the Indiana Muskie Classic website, or get a hold of Jeremy Sivis, who is also on Facebook. I don't think I want to post his or give out his phone number on the air without his permission, but we can get you in touch with them or any questions you might have about the Classic. We'd love to not only get more fishermen involved in it, but you know, you guys as sponsors are always welcome to drive down for the weekend and we'll get you guys in boats fishing too, so... Sounds good, John. Appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And we yep. appreciate all of our listeners for who decide that they they want to put up with us and listen to us for another episode. And so we thank everybody for that. And we will uh, catch everybody with a new episode again next week, Wednesday. Thanks.